Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, I'm interviewing the wonderful Chris Roy of Dubert. That's D-O-O-B-E-R-T.com. He is the Airbnb of rescues and shelters. He's going to talk to us about how COVID has created this collaborative personality between shelters, rescues, and volunteers. I am so grateful to know him and collaborate with him and find out how he's collaborating with those who are helping rescue pets. Hi, and welcome back to Why Do Pets Matter? This is Deborah Hamilton. And boy, am I glad to be here with Chris Roy. Chris and I have known each other for so many years. We have tried to work together on certain products, and we're still going to do that going forward. But he is the founder creator of Dubert, which is, I'll let him explain to you what it is, but it is the most connective group between volunteers, rescues, and shelters so they can help animals find the right home, find the right situation, be put in the right situation. Um, they're helping animals and people. So Chris, I am so grateful you're here. Tell us a little bit about Dubert and then I'll ask you our, our favorite question, why do pets matter? Sure. No, well, I'm glad to be here with you. So, you know, the best way I describe Dubert, I mean, it does two things, right? So it does transport and fostering. So it's kind of like volunteer-based Uber for rescue animals to get them where they're going. Um, and it's kind of like an Airbnb for animals and that we help you know, manage the fosters, find the fosters who then in turn are finding the adopters. And really it's designed to try and connect volunteers with the rescues and shelters and, and get them to work together. It's designed to provide that platform, that technology because it doesn't exist. You know, that is something that's such a great need now, especially in these times. So before we get off into that whole thing, which we obviously will, tell me why pets matter to you, Chris. Yeah. So pets, we have, we have five of them right now. So we have four cats and a dog. And, you know, it's one of those things when before you have a pet, it's kind of like you don't, you, you just don't understand. And once you have a pet, you realize they're not, they're not a, property. They are members of your family. They are part and parcel of everything going on. They have good days and bad days. They fight with each other and they fight with you sometimes. And um, they're just such a part of our lives. And it's been really interesting for me being working from home now since last March, like a lot of people, the, the bond with our animals has just grown, right? When you're having a bad day or you're pissed off, they, they see it, they know it, they want to console you. And so 
they matter because they are a part of our lives, right? These are sentient beings and that's what they matter to me. I love that you said that. You know, today I saw a post by a colleague of mine who spoke about how her pets helped her through her cancer treatments. Um, and we've all been sort of through some treatment over the past 11 months with COVID. And I think animals have become that touchstone. And since you work with rescues and shelters, tell us a little bit about how the turnover in rescues and shelters happened and any great outcomes that you've heard of um, or any concerns you might still feel linger. Yeah. I mean, I think the world turned upside down last March for everybody and specific to rescues and shelters. I mean, every shelter overnight had to deal with the same challenges that businesses did, right? They had people coming in and you couldn't have that. Um, they had to you know, work in shifts to try and take care of the animals. And so they really tried to empty the shelters to find more fosters. So they really engaged their community to get more people involved. Um, rescues were doing similar things, but in a lot of cases with these rescues, I mean, again, you couldn't go to the shelters, you couldn't pull these animals. So it really forced a, a fundamental shift in the way that we approach things. I think in some ways, if there's always, a, if there's a positive that can come out of this, for the animal rescue industry, it, it worked out to be a good thing because there's now weekly Zoom calls and collaboration and all of the things that you would expect, but that haven't typically happened. I mean, I, I try and explain to people that there's about 5,000 shelters in the US and each one is kind of independently owned and operated. And these are, it's not like a franchise. It's not like they're working together all the time. They're each, you know, independent and serving the needs of their community. So with COVID and the shift and all that, they're starting to work better together. They're starting to communicate more, um, get more innovative, look for ways to, you know, find positive outcomes um, for these animals. Uh, they're engaging their community more, trying to understand better what the needs are because, you know, as you know, there's 50 states and how many counties in the U.S. I mean, and it's very different. Um, so that's what's really changed. And I think there's been a lot more people that have gotten involved, which has been great. Um, a lot more people have realized that, hey, you know what, I, I could foster an animal for some period of time. And I could be an advocate for helping that animal find their permanent family um, and that's a really rewarding experience. I have to say the fact that rescues were able to find foster families and foster families came sort of out of the woodwork because they were home. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe some of them become foster fails, which we all know about, but it gives that animal the chance not to live in a run at a shelter, but rather in a home. And maybe I can't keep it long-term but I can get it to that next level, which it wouldn't necessarily have had if we hadn't had the pandemic. So shelter animals actually um, benefited by the fact that people were more willing to take them long-term, short-term. So that's adoption versus foster, but giving them the ability to really help the dogs by training them how to be good family members, because that's what they are, and 
helping them be good citizens at the same time and recognizing where they excelled and where they might have needed a little assistance so that you can pay it forward. Hey, Chris, if you want to adopt this dog, really great, does bark at other dogs, you know, doesn't ride in the car well, throws up all the time, whatever that is. Tell me a little bit about what you've heard on these collaborative calls, which I love because, you know, I'm the queen of collaboration um, that that is changed between everyone sharing this information and the fosters who have um, popped out. Yeah, I think what's really it's almost like recognizing what was obvious to a lot of people, maybe that weren't necessarily a part of the industry. But, you know, it's that whole forest through the trees, I think. When I try and explain to people, you know, they say, oh, we adopted our dog from a, a shelter and that's great, right? And then I'll often ask them, well, do you know where the dog came from? And they kind of look at me and they go, I never really, never really thought about it, right? You don't think about when you go to Walgreens or you buy something from Amazon, you don't necessarily think about where it was sourced from or where it came from. And so it's pretty common. So when you start diving a little bit into that, um, they... Sometimes they, they know the story, sometimes not. But a lot of these animals, you know, if you draw a line across the middle of the U.S., um, east to west, kind of south of the line, there's more overpopulation. North of the line, not as much. Um, and we're working to balance out that supply and demand and to, you know, not euthanize animals simply for space. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think in, in now 2021, um, last year in the U.S., there's 625,000 animals, dogs and cats that were euthanized, you know, for space, not for, you know, other, you know, medical, uh, you know, unsurvivable things, anything like that. And you go, this is a problem that we created and this is a problem that we can fix. So it's been really neat being on these calls to hear some of the national initiatives, but also some of the local initiatives. You know, I'm a big, you know me, I'm a big technology guy, right? So I've been continuing to build out the tools um, on Dubert so that people can, it, we've got almost like an Instagram now for shelter animals. So you as the fosterer can post pictures and videos and likes and dislikes, just like you said, to help promote that animal, right? And help them find what's gonna be a perfect match, what's gonna be their perfect home. Um, so there's been a lot more collaboration, a lot more recognition that each one of these 5,000 all has similar problems, but also very different problems, right? And how, you know, I think there's been a lot of networking that goes on. A lot of people are, you know, meeting different organizations. There's still more that needs to take place, um, but it's, you know, like anything else, right? It's hard. You're trying to get people to work together. You're trying to change the way they do things. Um, you know, it's, it's just hard to really affect change. And it's how you approach it, I think. So when you're on these collaborative calls, it's the language you use that either will um, foster conversation right. or shut conversation down. So if you are judgmental about how someone is handling their rescues or their dog as a foster, communication can be shut down and then you might lose a foster or you might lose the ability to get additional information that would help you with an issue you have with um, a shelter dog or a shelter. I know I work with shelters all the time uh, to help communicate among everybody. 
So, yeah. you know, it's, it's how you foster that conversation. Um, and I'm sure you've seen really good calls and tell yeah. us about any that you have uh, that create that ability for people to feel they're being heard. Yeah. And I think that's a really important point, Deborah. I mean, we as humans are judgmental. <laughs> we are. It's just the way our brains work, right? You see somebody, you judge them by what they're wearing, what they look like, how they look at you. And there's been a lot of really interesting calls that talk about, you know, from a sheltering perspective, if you're working in a shelter and people are coming in and, and surrendering their animal, the first thing you're going to do is judge. Oh, what a horrible person. How could they turn their dog in? And, you know, and you're going to walk into that situation with that judgment. And there's been a lot more, you know, challenging in a, in a positive way to say, you know, can you help understand? Maybe there's other things. Maybe that person can't afford. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe there's a family member that's in the hospital. Maybe they, you know, their house or their apartment or whatever they were kicked out of. And the last thing they want to do is surrender the family pet, but they believe it's the best thing for the pet. And just by having, as you, as you mentioned, having that conversation in an un, or non-judgmental way, uh, unassuming way to try, try and say, is there anything we can do that could help, right? What's going on? If you just need food, if you just need some help with medical, um, maybe you just maybe they just need a temporary place for the dog for two weeks, right? Because they have to go down and take grandma or something like that. Um, and so trying to open up that conversation and not judge that somebody's coming in, oh, what a horrible person they are. Because oftentimes, you know, we call it shelter prevention now is if we can keep the animal out of the system in the first place, um, the person walks away feeling much more supported. The animal obviously stays in their loving home, which is all they ever know. Again, they're sentient beings. They know the difference between you and me, right? I mean, they right. know who, who they live with and it's stressful and it's traumatic for them. Um, so anything we can do to prevent that from happening and provide the support that somebody needs, I think that's probably been the best thing that's happened in the industry and the, and the conversations have gone to. And I really love that. I really love the fact that it's trying to help the people help the animals, right? It's trying to recognize that just because, you know, their living situation, their approach, whatever may not be your approach, doesn't make it wrong. And that's a really hard thing to do. It's easy to just go, why are you doing that? That's wrong. We know it's wrong. Well, but if nobody ever told you, if nobody ever, you know, where do you get your knowledge from? You get your knowledge from your own experiences and your family. And if nobody explained to you or provided you the means, you know, how would you know any better? So I, I think that's probably been the best part that's come out of this is just that open dialogue. I love when you say that because most of the time when, I speak to people, it's their experiences and as a result, their biases to one way or another. And if I keep my dogs in a crate when I drive, you know, some people might say, wow, that's really smart. Cause if you have a car accident, your dog isn't gonna get lost or unlikely to get lost. Um, but yet somebody might say, oh my God, look that poor dog in a crate, can't turn around, can't lay, can't do this, can't do that. And you're right. It's it's the experience we have. It's the choices we make. Um, and I think now, given the opportunity of COVID, if I can use that term, the opportunity yeah. of COVID, what I'm hearing you say is, so fosters are coming out of the woodwork, giving dogs, cats, 
maybe even horses, um, a better chance at being adopted long-term because they're recognizing their individuality, let's put it nicely, their individuality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can move them forward. No, this dog shouldn't go with other dogs. Yes, this dog should go with kids, loves kids, whatever it is that you're finding out about the dog, which you wouldn't find out necessarily. Um, but I loved when you said, and if you can tell us more, when when people are able to have a conversation and not feel judged, whether they're dropping off their dog, asking for assistance or taking the dog in, if you're not judged because you're a shelter worker, oh my God, you know, it must be terrible. Or if you're right. not judged because you have to turn the dog in, because as you said, and we began um, earlier in this conversation before I turned the recording on, you know, people are losing their homes. So if they're losing their homes because they've lost their jobs, then maybe it is a two-week foster, a four-week foster, a six-month foster till I get on my feet. Uh, but people don't know about that. And I think before COVID, that wasn't necessarily an option. But now, thankfully, due to COVID, this may be an option. Yeah. No, and I think it's a really good point. I think the to always take advantage of a, you know, a disaster, right, to try and to make change. And and having that dialogue. <laughs> right. Exactly. you got to do something, right? And I think you stated it well, because the normal thing that would happen and the way shelters have, have worked for many, many years, um, and I'm speaking generally, right? Because some of them are, are much more, uh, you know, forward thinking. Yeah. Um, but if you came in, the first thing, you know, and you said, I want to surrender my dog, the first thing they would do is hand you a, a contract that says, basically, you're giving up all legal rights to the dog. The dog is theirs. They'll do whatever they want with it. Um, and... You know, instead of saying, hey, what's going on? Let's, you know, let's go over here. Tell me what's going on. You know, if there's some, you know, we've got lots of different programs and ways that we can support and help you, you know, and if they're still not interested, fine. You know, the shelter then becomes a a safety net of sorts instead of, you know, that first place where they're the only choice is to give up your dog, right? Um, usually when somebody comes into a shelter to surrender their dog, they're at their wits end. They've tried everything. They don't know what else to do. They don't know who to call. And, you know, they're hopeful that somebody else will be able to take care of their animal, right? Their family member. And, you know, if you stop and put yourself in that mindset and you think how heart-wrenching must it be to have to go surrender your pet. It's, it's like literally surrendering your brother or your sister or your child and saying, I can't take care of it. And the guilt and the frustration you feel as a person, feeling like maybe you failed or, you know, all of those emotions, they're in a very vulnerable place. And how do we accept them as they are, understand what's going on? Um, if there's a way we can help referring them to services, there's so many people that want to help and that would be willing to help. And the, the conversation of fostering is really opened up into all the reasons that we need fosters for animals. Some of it is to you know, remove the, the stress on the shelter, right? The uh, number of animals in the shelter, animals do much better, as you pointed out, in a foster home than they do in a shelter environment. Um, it's noisy, it's loud, it's, there's so many things. Antiseptic. Are, yeah, it's <laughs> Doesn't have those smelly things in the garbage and stuff. Exactly. And they, they're going to get more diseases and things like that because of the stress, because of the close confined quarters. I mean, it's just it's just not designed 
um, for that. So being in homes is going to keep them safer. It's going to reduce the pressure on the shelter. And you think all the reasons. So it's not just the fact that there's more dogs than there are doctors. I mean, the, the crazy part is if you back up and look at the forest through the trees, we have way more doctors than we do animals, right? Up in your neck of the woods, if you a lot of shelters are desperately trying to bring more animals in to service the need and trying to make that connection. Um, and it's it's hard, right? Trying to balance out that supply and demand. I tell people there is no Amazon Prime for animals. You can't order one up and it shows up two days later. It just it doesn't work that way. Um, so what a lot of the education comes in is trying to explain to people that say that's just wrong and want to help. How do we get them involved? How do we engage them? Can they be transporters? Can they be fosters? Can they be virtual volunteers? You know, there's lots of ways that they can get involved, but you know, the, the shelters and the rescues have to have that structure. They have to have the, you got to manage people. You got to give them something to do. So everything is hard, right? It's not possible, but it's hard. And trying to share those best practices, have those conversations, even, even when we're having these types of conversations on these shelter calls, not being judgmental of one another, right? Because some of the shelters are um, municipal shelters, right? So city shelters where, where they have a different set of rules. They can't just change their policy because they want to. And they have There's a bottom line and, a, and an, an economic um, parameter which in they, which, within which they have to live. Right, right. And so trying to not be judgmental of one another and the role that they're playing in this. And there's, there's a lot of aha moments, I think, that happen from time to time. Um, but to be able to have a conversation like what you and I are having, very non-judgmental and just open and saying, hey, have you tried this? We did this. This worked for us. Maybe it'll work in your community. Um, get them to open up and share some of the best practices that they may not get elsewhere. You know, it's so it's so refreshing to hear that more and more rescues are, and shelters are working together to share that information because, you know, nobody can invent the wheel. Everybody can make the wheel better. Uh, what, what works for me might not work for you. But the thing that really resonated with me when you said it was, you know, these are members of your family and often they might be your mother's dog, your brother's dog your neighbor's dog, and they aren't able to take care of them anymore, especially now during COVID, they're in the hospital. So many of us have seen the newspaper clippings where the hazmat guys came to an apartment, the neighbor took care of it for two weeks, then said no more um, and felt guilty. So mm -hmm. so if you, if you have a pet, um, make sure you have a plan for the pet, but okay. because that will help the people who love you and love your pet or love the pet um, know what the next step should be because the shelters are always there to help. But if you could give the shelters a break by saying, well, the neighbor knows my dog really well and could foster it for two weeks, you know, but people have to know about that. They have to know about the plan you might make for your pet. Um, and it's not easy for people to turn their pets in. It, maybe it's easy. Let's say if you have a sister or brother who don't like animals and you're in the hospital and Boom, the dog is gone. I know when I go to independent living facilities, most of the older people who have these little 20 pound dogs um, immediately say, well, I put my son or daughter on the sheet that they'd come and get the dog, but the dog will immediately go to a shelter because they don't want it. And so, you know, being able to figure out what's the best for these pets 
and keeping the shelter or rescue as a partner, but also pre-planning and pre-paving yeah. Um, yeah. what might be best because all of us know people who took their old aunt's cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and it does happen. And, and like you said, is thinking ahead, what, what is the plan? And the plan can change and it should be updated like anything else. And what do you want to happen? Because there's lots of options for rehoming your pet. Um, go to rehome.adoptapet.com. Um, and I mean, any of the major sites now have it. And the idea is for you to keep the animal out of the shelter, right? Let the shelter be the safety net for last resort. But if you've got the means to do that, um, maybe that's the best option. There are, um, there are things that spin up such as, you know, trust for animals and, you know, in all 50 States and And you know, what's really great about it is that if you get sick, you have money to help somebody take care of your pet and you don't have to be dead yet. Right. Well, and it's funny because we always joke. I mean, my wife and I, we don't have any human children. We only have furry children. And we joke with um, our nieces and nephews to say, you know, y'all should be nice to us because we're leaving everything to the animals. You know, when we go, they get everything. And whoever's, you know, the caretaker, designated caretaker is going to get to live in our house and drive our car and all those other kinds of things. And, you know, we say it out, out of jest, but it, it not is, really. Yeah. But it is something that you got to think about. And, yeah. You know, unfortunately, it, accidents happen. And, and, you know, and as you've always pointed out, it's not just death, right? You, you end up in the hospital on a ventilator for two weeks because of COVID. Well, what happens? Yeah. Um, animals need to eat and, you know, be relieved and things like that. So in almost every county now, there is a shelter that has an animal control contract, right? That they'll come in and take the animal. Um, but because is, animals is are that property, what you want? Right. The animals are property in all 50 states. And, um, you know, there's lots of ways that this animal can end up in the system that you didn't want. want right. It. In a way that you didn't want. So right. you can always prepave that mm-hmm. way of doing it. Say, listen, um, the shelter is my, my, my caretaker of last resort. I'd like it to foster the dog for six or nine months. I, I'll pay for whoever's going to foster the dog. If I haven't found somebody to foster the dog or who, if the people I found to foster the dog can't foster the dog. I love redundancy. It's my middle name. Um, yep. when I talk about making a plan because, um, Chris has to know that Deborah's going to be there, but if Deborah isn't there, then Mary's going to be there. And if Mary's not there, then Sue's going to be there and Mary, Sue and Deborah know each other. So if Deborah isn't taking care of the dog, Mary and Sue can come up and say, Deborah, is it too much for you? Like yeah. your nieces and nephews, you know, they, they, you got a lot of them. So listen, whoever's going to take the dog's great, but the other ones have to watch and see because it might get to be too much. Um, and so you, Always want to use redundancy to make sure and always have the shelter or rescue of your choice, especially if you adopt from a shelter or rescue. They may have a clause in that contract that says you have to let us know if you're giving up the dog. Um, So you can't really give it to your neighbor without letting them know. However, I think, Chris, you would agree that if somebody called the rescue or the shelter and said, listen, my neighbor loves Fluffy. And if something happens to me, I want my neighbor to be the person to get fluffy. How do I go about doing that? I know that this paragraph seven in the contract says it comes back to you, but how do I do it so that you know where fluffy goes? Cause I know that's why you have it in the contract. Cause you want to know where fluffy goes, but how, 
how can I make sure that Fluffy goes to Chris, who's my neighbor, who Fluffy knows, um, but also abide by your contract? It's just, as we said at the beginning, having that collaborative yeah. conversation, having transparency. And I'm sure that you'd agree, and, and most shelters and rescues would agree as well. If you've got somebody that knows the dog, that's willing that's to take the dog and is, and is willing to have us as the backup, that's, yeah, that's what they want. It's all about the animal and trying to make sure the animal has a loving and caring home. And, a, and you know, that's what it's about. Um, and I think the key word in what you just said is proactive. You know, how are you going to be proactive in, in doing that? And if you did adopt from a rescue or shelter, as you pointed out, there's likely a clause in the contract that says, if you can no longer care for the animal or you're, you know, not there or you're giving the animal away, they get the right of first refusal. And the reason those clauses are there is so that the animal's well-being is thought of, right? And that it's not just the first person that's willing to take that animal. There's so many, um, you know, there's a lot of noise actually right now about Craigslist and people posting animals on Craigslist and things like that. And it's not the most effective way. Um, so I think that you're right. The clause is there so that we think about what's in the best interest of the animal. And always having redundancy because, you know, a, a great deal of time we sit down with our friends over a glass of wine and say, You've, I don't know how old your nieces and nephews are. Maybe they're not at the wine level yet, but if they are, you know, okay, if something happens to us, this is what we'd like to take care of the dogs. And um, we spoke about this before we got on the air, but um, one woman made out her will, everything was going to someone and they were going to disperse of it. Um, and it wasn't really clear. It just was sort of, if something happens to me and I can't take care of the pets, this is what I want you to do. Well, she couldn't take care of the pets because she was ill. Um, thankfully, she recovered. But then the pets had been dispersed because that's what her directives were. And maybe they did them early, right? She didn't pass sure. away, so they did them early. However, they thought they were doing what was best for the pets, and now there's a big Megillah. So it's not just making a plan for your pets, as you said. There's the seven Ds. The only one that we always talk about is death, but then there's divorce, delay, disease, disaster. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's huge. You've got to think of those things. Fires in California, you know, now landslides in California because of the ground having no vegetation because of the fires. Yep. You have, you know, tornadoes in the mid of the country, in the middle of the country, and then you have hurricanes on the East Coast. So you really have to think about that i always laugh when when people say well i'm not going to evacuate till the last minute and they have like 20 horses right it's, are you kidding me yeah are you kidding me that's why all the horses were on the beach in california because nobody thought about oh shit the wind might shift um yeah. you know so what are you, you are doing such a great job um please check out duberts i love chris chris and i are probably going to reconnect now forever and try to work this out so that we can make sure the rescues and shelters continue to collaborate because that language is so important for their well-being the people i'm talking about as well as the dogs but the people yep. and the fosters yep. so anything you want to close with chris and then we're going to wrap it up I just tell people, if you want to get involved in helping animals, sign up at Dubert.com because we always need more volunteers. It's not like you got to do it every day. Even if you do a transport once a month or foster for a few days or weeks, um, every little bit helps. And we always need more volunteers. So you can sign up and get involved. Chris, I am so grateful you're here. Please go to Dubert, everyone, and check out more. Wow.
The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. And if you really want to make a plan for your pet, come Wednesday nights because we do the map plan, navigating the journey your pet takes when you can't care for it. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.